story. So if you want to jump straight in there, we'll get this done. Um, so really, really give everybody like obviously you know, your backstory really as far back as you want to go. Uh, military? Do we start military? Do we yeah, start yeah, Sydney? Do. Yeah, yeah. How long have I got? <laughs> An hour. <laughs> right, backstory, military. Uh, so, well, just before. So I left, uh, I, I grew up in South Wales, a little village called Quainant. Um, academically, right, in secondary school, went to college, all went to shit. And uh, I ended up leaving before I was kicked out. Yeah. I, I, put a little, I put a little website together called neathcollegesucks.co.uk first website I made actually 1990 1999 yeah. <laughs> and uh, it didn't take too kindly to it and at the time I was uh, I was thinking about joining up for some reason RAF I can't remember why yeah. uh, none of my family in military uh, yeah. apart from like great uncles and stuff like that um, and so I'm not sure why I think it's lack of options and I was yeah. fit and I, and I I think that's all I had really going for me at the time, as, as I thought, is I was fit, and so you've got to be fit to get in the military, and the RAF doesn't sound too hard, so yeah. I'll go for that. <laughs> and I ended up, I ended up getting seeing a, a, a recruitment post or something somewhere saying, go and spend, go and spend 24 hours at the Paris in all the shots, yeah. uh, like a look at life. And a, me and a friend of mine who was in a similar boat, uh, who lived in the same village, we both went down for this weekend, well, 24 hours, with the paras and it, it was you know all the cool stuff look at the weapons and I do some fitness basic fitness stuff yeah. did a mile and a half mile and a half run and then we did the mile and a half test straight after yeah. uh, I came I think I came first on that um, I was only going to run in my like my upper body yeah. strength was nothing I, I, I'd grown up as a a rake of a person I think when I joined up at 18 in 2000 I think I was 11 stone yeah, and I'm the height, I, I was a height younger than I am now, six foot one, eleven yeah. stone, six foot one. I was just, it was <laughs> just nothing to me about the quads. Um, and so yeah, ended up ended up joining joining the Paris after that after that twenty four hours of getting yeah. fed absolute crap and, and completely not brainwashed, but uh, not crap, but uh, yeah, it'd be great when you join. You really enjoy it. In reality, it's like seventy five percent of it is hideous. Yeah. <laughs> 25% of it is the best time you like. Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. Um, in terms of en enjoyment, should we say? But then the whole 100% makes you makes you the person you are when you come out the other yeah, end. Yeah, definitely. And so I, I I signed up in in late 1999. Yeah. It's a protracted length of time to get to the point where I could, I could actually start that. Well, I've got Irish family, so Republic. Yeah. Uh, Republic of Ireland. Took about seven months, I think, for yeah. the for it all to come through, and then I started May, May Day two thousand, and um, ended up with three para in January two thousand and one. Yeah, do you get a choice of the different like regiments? You could, like, obviously because you got like two power, two power, three power. Do you actually have a choice, or is it just some like kind of like okay, that's what they're looking for. They're looking for billets on that. On um, you know, no. do you give options? You know, so and unless there's uh, exceptional circumstances, yeah. right? Let's say a battalion's on tour or they plan to go, to go on an operation, yeah. um, and they're going to need to bolster their numbers up, then then they will decide to send platoons, training platoons to those units when they wouldn't yeah. necessarily be going. Normally, it works. A okay, platoon six sixty, we've yeah. got a one, one para. 
well, three uh, three power in my case. Platoon yeah. six six one. We got a two uh, one power. Platoon six six two. We've got two power. one two yeah. three one two three. Yeah, there right. are there are circumstances where it doesn't happen. I think it yeah. still happens the same. Yeah. That, that. Yeah. But I believe uh, I believe that's how it still happens. Yeah, might be wrong. Yeah, because that's what because that's because you get obviously like because most people it's either here or two power or three power, isn't it? And then one power is predominantly like SFSG now. Well, to flip it round, SFSG is made up of one power. Um, yeah. uh, some guys from uh, some guys, or maybe girls as well from yeah. Raffred. Some yeah. guys, or maybe girls as well from the boot next. No offense, <laughs> <laughs> but. Um, the, the majority of the special force support group is, is one para, so it's the whole yeah. of them, one para plus um, filler ups from the bootnecks and yeah. Raffert. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. So, so really, like once you obviously you've done you've uh, done uh, obviously the um, three power the course there, um, and then obviously you completed your P company, um, and then you uh, obviously got your beret. I mean, what's that feeling like once you get that, you know, because you can call it a maroon beret or the red beret, but what do you go for? You, no, you, you can't call it red beret. You only call it maroon beret. So, so, many, old, so many old timers will say, will say red beret. I did an yeah. interview with a guy called uh, Terry Wood, a yeah, yeah. veteran, and he referred to it as a red beret. Yeah. That's his, like, now he wouldn't call it red. Because yeah. military police have a red beret. So it's like, anyway, yeah. so it's maroon. Um, what was it like? Uh, yeah, it, awesome feeling until I got until I got the battalion. So yeah. I suppose like um, I try hard to like what what to liken it to. So when I when I joined up, um, I, mean, I think one of the reasons deep down I joined up is I had a real low self esteem, real lack yeah. of self confidence. Didn't really have an identity. I didn't really fit like feel like I fit in yeah. with uh, not society, but a bit of a weirdo. You know what I mean? Because of yeah. all those things, like socialising, didn't like engaging yeah. with people like people in the eye, all that kind of stuff, yeah. you know. Um, so I joined up to partly to prove myself to myself. Yeah. Um, and, and and that's what I did. And over time, like, so in Depot, as you go through Depot, you change as a character, you know. Yeah. Uh, you start carrying yourself physically, carrying yourself differently. You start yeah. engaging with people differently. You start getting a bit of confidence with yourself. Yeah. And, it's, and regardless of what you need to join, really, and regardless yeah. of what you need to join, and that's down to you you experiencing stuff that most people don't get experience that you're growing up with. Your peer group aren't experiencing it. You're in a minority of your yeah. peer group from your school year, for example. Yeah. Hardly anyone joining, right? Yeah. So you already got knowledge about this stuff. You've travelled somewhere else to go experience it. You're with yeah. other people who are of the same mind, and you have to generally be a bit sharper about yourself, be a little bit tougher. Yeah. You get forced into highly high pressure situations. Just in depot, that's yeah. what people like. Yeah. But you get beasted. And aside from all that. The physical exertion side of things, from you know going through different attacks and and, and just physical training, yeah. you constantly constantly push your limits on a daily basis, and not just yeah. once a day, like regularly, yeah. constantly push your limits. And so, as as like regular um, uh, people who regularly undertake physical activity, strenuous physical activity, yeah. generally mentally stronger because they're, yeah. they're always challenging themselves. They always hit in pain every day, and they're choosing to go. Right, they're choosing yeah. to put their hand on. And that means you can only go so far with that. You can only push yourself so far yeah. to go to the levels that are sort of, holy shit, how did he yeah. achieve that? Or how did he achieve yeah. that? Got to push there. You see yeah. extreme circumstances, car crashes, flipping, um, where cra people do crazy, amazing things that are incredibly painful. It's the same in battle. It's the same yeah. in wartime. It's the same in 
training. You know, I wouldn't choose to go and flip and crawl like half a mile with all my kit on and yeah. pissing the shit in the mud um, and just get covered in cuts and bruises and doing it. But if yeah. I'm in major, my power edge screws at depot, I ain't the choice. At the end of it, I hate it, but I've, I've taken myself to another level. And so because of that, you get more, more confidence in yourself. And um, you get the end of depot, it, well, you get the P company, past P company, then you've got your jumps course, which is another like, oh my God, am I, I going to be able to do this? You do that, you do jumps course, and you think, I'm on top of the world, this is amazing. And then you get a battalion. <laughs> <laughs> is that where I, it really I, changes? Are you the bottom? You're the bottom of the run again. Yeah. You know, it's like, oh my god! <laughs> you have to start like kind of like you've built all that confidence up. It's built all that. It's instilled in you now. You've you've fit. You've obviously you know confidence levels are massive now because you think every task you've done, you've hit that, hit that, hit that. You've kind of hit that top, haven't you? The top of the tree. And then, like you said, as soon as you go to battalion, you're back down to the bottom. So it's like it's always that learning curve. You start all over again. It is, yeah. It's a different dynamic and. uh Man, don't get me wrong, depth was hard, really hard. Um, and, uh, uh, but the hard, and P Company is hard. Yeah. The hardest things, the hardest physical activities we've ever done were not in depth, it wasn't P yeah. Company, it's been in battalion. And yeah. some of the hardest things I've done, some, probably the hardest things I've done physically over a long period of time, well, like not individual bursts, I've been, I've been in training, yeah. you know. Um, I remember, I remember jumping into an exercise. Well, not long after I joined, I remember parachuting into an exercise, and depending on what weight you were, yeah. we were carrying between 110, 140 pounds worth of kit on your back, right? Yeah. yeah. And so we hit the hit the DZ, and then you got all that kit, and that's that's not including the parachute. We've been the no. parachute. You got all that kit because we were going into the, a defensive exercise. First yeah. defensive exercise the battalion had done in God knows how many years. I don't know. Yeah. And it was a ten mile insertion time. With you carrying basically a small person in your back, and yeah. it was, it was, did that. It took a couple of hours. It took, it fucking took a long time. Battalion yeah. snake, and then when we hit the defensive positions. We then started digging into a stage three trench. It was like, and that was the first forty-eight hours. It was yeah. the hardest thing I've ever done, and that was the start of the exercise. You know, it's like, oh my god, P Company was a, a model. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think that's what it is. Really, when you when you think about it. It's like some people say the level of training you go through is is designed as, as hard as possible. So when you do get the battalion and you do get to, you know, I mean, you, know, you put on front line, it is it's meant to make it more easier. But you, but like the, yeah, you know I mean, it's like you're saying it was like kind of the opposite of yourself. It was more or less, you know, that what you'd gone through was kind of like, well, I breathe. It's like you breathed that, and then you hit the battalion, and that was it. Um, I this two this. There's two different, there's a different, depot's a different thing. It's got a different yeah. intent, right? Yeah. Depot is a bombardment of information. Yeah. It is inf it's not overload, it's done well. Yeah. It's a bombardment of information, and you have to combine that with a uh, getting the body to the physically prepared for yeah. um, battle, which is what you yeah. potentially could be doing when you join whatever uni you're going yeah. to. So at the end of your, um, the end of your court, your training, your, at the end of depot, whatever you're yeah. doing, then, um, You've got to be ready. And so in depot, the, the, the beast ins, so let me rephrase, not let me go back. The, how physically strenuous the exercises are. And then, yeah. why is my kitchen wrong? I don't show my kitchen. No. <laughs> Sorry. How, uh, how strenuous they are has got to be, has, has got to, 
allowed also for the mental capacity to take in the information that's being taught. Yeah. Um, so you get you go on an exercise, you go on the exercise to bring the practice things you've been taught in the classroom on like range days and tactics days individually. Yeah. You go on an exercise for seven, eight days, nine days, ten days, sometimes it's three or four. Yeah. To it could be a whole exercise on reconnaissance, right? Yeah. And if you're getting thrashed the whole four days in that reconnaissance, just completely hammered physically, no. hammered physically, how are you supposed to, how are you supposed to um, plan and act, act on, the, on the tactics that you've been taught and do yeah. what your section commanders are telling you to do? You can't see learn nothing. It's got to be balanced. Yeah. Uh, that was slightly different when we did P company, right? Because like P, yeah. P company is a bit different when you're power edge to when you do it all arms. So yeah. in, in that, we don't really have the luxury of after the event is done because we could do all our speak up you could be an officer you could be a senior NCO from whatever unit and then you get back go back to your bunk after you've done like the 10 miler for example yeah. a few hours off before you do the next event in the afternoon it's two yeah. events a day when you're a paratrooper in depot for power edge you it was for me anyway when we go into the other barracks like marching there to go to yeah. start the P company event we have to pass to get yeah. into power edge one of them we we on the way there we leave early yeah. and we would get thrashed we'd have a physical beast in before we got to the event yeah. then we do the event expect to pass it then yeah. we come back and we get thrashed again yeah. then you get back and then you have you have time for lunch then you have to go for the second event could be train asm could be log cut log yeah. whatever you get thrashed on the way there again it's just crazy it's crazy yeah. tender that was the exception of p coming now when you come out the battalion yeah. you've got all that knowledge Right, so really, what we're telling about is it's about the commanders at every level, um, getting the Toms, the privates, Toms we call them Power Edge, yeah. getting the private to now do things the way the battalion does it, do things the way that it's you pass the driving test the way the driving the driving instructor yeah. says. Then you learn out the sort of drive to your own style or drive to yeah. the style of the vehicle, automatic, manual, all the rest. Of the yeah. Same thing, battalion. They teach you the way they want, they want to do it. Not all units do it the same. Yeah. And so they can, there's less to teach you, so they can be, the exercises can be much more physically demanded. And then you've got operations, which is a different kind of fish. You don't get to choose what the physical demands are. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Because I think that's what it is. Because that's what I've loved doing these podcasts, because obviously I have bootnecks and obviously para. And it's nice to see that, they see that the difference between the two courses. Because you'll always have one side say this one's hard, and then you'd have the other side will say this one's hard. So it's, I think, what it is. It's like you said, it's designed, you know, it's designed and then fits in when you get to battalion. So it's kind of like everything's designed. It gives you that that mental resilience, that gives you that mindset, that confidence. So you've, you know, it's been basically knocked, in, you know, thrashed into essentially, you know, in that beastens. The, the thing is, I mean, when you think you can't compare them, you, no. you can't, you can't compare. Like, I mean, talking about bootnecks, uh, you can't compare the Royal Marine selection with the Power Edge. Yeah. But different things with different intent, yeah. different yeah. things, and that's we're just talking about selection. The fact yeah. of the matter is, it's, you need to have a selection, which is yeah. like, uh, apart from special forces, what I yeah. can say. Yeah. And that, uh, that's not the takeaway from any other unit. But yeah. the, the things that are not, you can't, you can't, it's just yeah. too different. That's what I'm saying. It's, it's like you hear them and you think, like, you've had people said, you go through this process and then you hear from the parents and you think there's no, because they do two, they're designed for two different roles. So there is going to be that training is designed for those two different roles. Now, I mean, when you got to the battalion, you know, especially the, the, the time that you actually did go through, 
um, and pass. Like that was, uh, like you say, that would have been like early 2000s. Now, from that time, were you straight on to deployments? Yeah, so uh, I, spent, I spent 12, no, just shy of 12 years yeah. uh, with 3Power. So from, from the first year I got there, every year was a, I didn't go anywhere. I didn't get posted. I think I did my first adventure training in 2009 to Germany for a week. <laughs> All the rest was hot. Um, so when I when I got the battalion in, it, actually it wasn't January, it was uh, right at the start of February. Yeah. Then I got the battalion and we were gearing up for, no, we were getting, we were doing some exercises and then we were gearing up for a Northern Ireland tour at the end of that year. So yeah. the end of 2001 was the tour of Northern Ireland, Bally Kelly. Yeah. And then we came back early 2002. Uh, and that Northern Ireland tour was, I mean, in, in words, nah, compared to everything else, Bakshi really. Even at the time, I didn't think it was hard. Um, it, it was, it was a bit, ner bit nerve-wracking. I'd never been in art before. Yeah. You know, I didn't, you know, like I said, I've got Irish family, but I didn't fucking know what the situation was in Northern exactly. Ireland. Yeah. And, uh, quite mundane, though. It was quite mundane. Nothing yeah. much went on. It wasn't really then. It wasn't really in mean, 2001. And then 2002 was a a Roman infantry company taught Falcons for the 20th anniversary of, um, of the invasion of 82. So 2002, we went back, three platoons from the Reg, one from one power, one from two power, one from three power. Uh, and then 2003 was the Iraq war, the invasion of Iraq. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Because you went, oh, you did Telic one, didn't you? Yeah, so Telic one, I went out as a GMG gunner with one platoon A company of three para, uh, still very much wet behind the ears, really. Yeah. Uh, yeah, still very much wet behind the ears. And um, that was hard. It was, yeah. I, start, I found it hard, physically demanding. Um, yeah. A lot of the stuff we did, I mean, I'm ginger, right? Yeah. <laughs> and at that time, I was not a day walker like I am now. I, can, yeah. I, don't, I don't get bothered by the heat now until it's 50. And I go, oh. Yeah. This is, I need to be careful now. Right? <laughs> um, but back then, I was a yeah. pinky skinned kid with no experience in the desert and kind of flipping GPMG. Um, and it was hard. We did some like uh, advanced contacts. But yeah. again, it was a pretty benign environment for three power there. Yeah. Uh, not much happened, but it was physically demanding nonetheless. We didn't have it like other units had. I think mean, just everywhere we went, people deserved the. the Forces we were going to fight, they'd gone by the time we got <laughs> Yeah, so you didn't even have a fight there. And plus, like you said, carrying that kit, especially GPMG, because they're not exactly the lightest bits of kit to lug around. Um, no. But I mean, like, really, that's something, and I know there's something that obviously I've had discussions with other people, and I know you and obviously Gez has as well on the podcast regarding Basra. Um, and obviously that, that situation for Iraq. And I think that's been a big, it's kind of bringing, being brought out now more and more, the situation of what actually, you know, in, in Basra itself and how it was kind of like how, and I still can't get my head around why they used, like using Card Alpha, you know, the this, this situation in Basra, how they dealt that. And literally, you know, they kind of took a Northern Ireland situation into that situation. And it was like two different there was two different situations you couldn't use like what they did try and do then like, what they used in northern ireland and place that in iraq it, it, it just you know that many people and i know that obviously um yourself you've had that conversation regarding it and i just think it's a bizarre situation really to even have well, that 
Well, so just to go back, there were there were there were elements of three para, um, yeah. like doing that. We did experience some some um, kinetic activity on yeah. on that two thousand three the, the war, like two thousand three war, that first that tank one. But the card alpha thing, I mean, it wasn't card alpha when we were in Basra, but I think not in the war. This yeah. is the thing. There's different campaigns, different operations demand different things, and and plus a lot of the decisions made on rules of engagement in different areas. Are quite often based on what the public perception of yeah. what's going on is. A prime example of that is uh, Afghan. Yeah. Um, when when I first toured, not not to come off the rap, just to give an yeah. example. When I first went to Afghan in 2006, most of the places you went to were operating on, were operating on 429 Alpha, yeah. which is wartime rules of engagement, yeah. or you're operating on, operating on 421 stroke 422. Um, which is not far off wartime's engagement. They're not loose, right? They, you yeah. can't go up and shoot anyone. Okay, yeah. there's strict guidelines with it, but it's not card alpha. For example, you don't need to wait for someone to shoot you before you can shoot them. Yeah, yeah. Which, which again, I'm thinking back to card alpha. I'm on, this is years ago now, but yeah. you can't do that card alpha unless there's certain scenarios. And yeah. Now, you can change going back to Iraq. You can have different rules of engagement, different areas at different times in an operation yeah. in the same country, and, yeah. so, and a lot of time you have to have that. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, as a campaign goes on, as a rat did, and the public perception of it and the public um, uh, support behind it starts to wane, which always yeah. as the campaigns go on, the numbers go yeah. through the roof, of, not through the roof, but numbers go casualties. Then it becomes harder for it becomes harder to. Um, to have different rules of engagement because let's say you have most of the places on card alpha, right? Yeah. Because it's just you know that's like a, that's what's needed, and then you got one spot, let's say in Basra, one area of Basra, um, which is a flipping nightmare. You drive in there, you're gonna get brassed up, and we say, Oh, we'll put that on 4142 because yeah. that's required. Yeah. Well, the wrong people, the journalists get all of that, and they'll say, this, They'll say, Oh, the, the, the wrong rules of engagement are being used in Basra, and this isn't what's going on. They just yeah. get. And again, because it's it, it causes it causes newspapers to be sold, right? Yeah, um, it's not it's not simple. The, ch the challenge challenge of the military a lot of time rules of engagement, unfortunately, and also PPE, unfortunately, yeah. is dictated by what public perception perception is yeah. back home. Yeah, exactly. Because I think that's one thing. Because when like at that time, obviously, I was out of the military. By the time like obviously um, nine eleven happened, you know that that kind of side. And everything that happened in obviously like two thousand three, obviously Iraq, and I'm I'm seeing it from that media perspective, and I, all I see, and that's all really you can go off. And I know when I spoke to Neville Johnson, and he kind of went because I said to him, "What was the big? Thing? How did you feel from Iraq to Afghan?" And he said there was a massive difference. You know, he went from like obviously um, serving in done Iraq got to Afghan and literally it was like one of the biggest eye openers he was because he worked he was obviously um, operating out of Sangin. So that was his that was his first time into Afghan was in actually Sangin and that was it. He said it was like something he never ever thought he'd ever experience. In what respect? Because he because uh, obviously the conversation it was he he served with Royal Regiment of Fusiliers, second battalion. Um so they went in and that thing were taken over from Royal Marines at um, at that time. So he says, like, we came in and he said, oh, it's going to be obviously hot. It's going to be hot, basically. It's going to be, you know, you're going to have to literally got 30 seconds, get off, get, you know, and then it was the transfer over. And then basically that was it. And he says, like, it was it was such a, from being in Iraq 
to be in an Afghan, there was a like how it changed. It was a massive difference. Yeah, Iraq Iraq had pockets of activity like that and periods. I mean, look at Gert, speak to Gertz Jones. Do you know yeah. what I mean? And speak to likes Brian Wood. I mean, yeah. the stories they tell. This gets forgotten with Iraq. Yeah, most units didn't really experience action activity like that in Iraq. It just didn't, yeah. right? Some did. Well, the difference from Afghan is most units did experience action like yeah. that. Some didn't, right? Um, uh, yeah, but again, I mean, it depends on what period when you went to Afghan. Like, exactly. if you, yeah. you send me to Afghan, well, I did. I went to Afghan start, middle, and towards the end of the campaign, yeah. right? The difference between the start of the campaign and the end was night and day. And night and day in... Not well, no, I took it back. It was, it was significant in terms of enemy activity, very significant. Yeah. Um, and the tactics being employed, but it was also, not, it was definitely night and day in terms of public perception yeah. and the how, in, how inhibitive that was on troops' ability to outmaneuver the enemy the end of the, towards the end of the campaign rather than the start. And because of public perception. Exactly. I think that's something that, because like, obviously I listen to all the uh, all the podcasts of HR and that we've done, and there's some there's some really interesting ones lately. And uh, because I see that in obviously the conversations you've been having, that like really that is a big key part of it is public perception, what people think of like what the situation it is, and and I see that myself. What you've experienced and what we like, I would say, for example, pick a newspaper up, watch a TV, watch it through a media outlet. The two differences is massive because there always will be that, but it's a way that we're, we're being shown it. Yeah. Um, I mean, an example of the impact of public perception. Let's imagine, uh, in fact, let's look at Iraq. Yeah. Iraq, we went in, uh, like the Iraq war, we had the old combat, combat body armor, you know, with a plate in the front. Uh, I mean, the kit wasn't great, but that's what we had at the time. Yeah. Um, and that's what we were in Afghan with the first time. The same yeah. kit, right, as in uh, body armor. Yeah. Towards later on in the Iraq campaign, towards the end, you've seen pictures and people who went out and did like, because I went out again to Iraq a second time to have the fight. Man, the body armor got given. You just, you couldn't move. I remember when we got given body armor, you get told it was compulsory to wear it. This thing had like arms on it. Mate, Crazy. you couldn't you struggle to cock your weapon. Yeah. It was a struggle to cock your weapon, right? That kit would never have come in and been issued across the board if the public did not, have, if the public perception was not a factor. Would that have happened? It would have happened. Yeah. And so we'd be able to move better. Iraq was a bit different because we a lot, very much vehicle born out there. Yeah. Afghan had a really significant impact. Yeah. Again, we went in and, uh, with three parents on the six, that three power battle group. We were going in the same kit we had at the start of the Iraq war three years before. Yeah. Combat body armor, one little plate in the back to protect your heart, one little plate the, on the other front side, and one little plate in the back, right? Yeah. School belt, belt kit, like you're issuing yeah. that, not issuing when you get the battalion, right? And then uh, it was, and that's what we had. And it, it was brilliant because you, we could, we were so light. We were so light. We could move really quick, yeah. close to the enemy as fast as, well, as fast as we needed to close. We couldn't close them as fast as they were because yeah. they were predominantly flipping dish dashes, yeah. you know, and they gave a few mags in the pocket because they dug out easy. Yeah. Um, but that's what you're going with. Mate, on, on, on a lot of the uh, offensive operations, we'd go in, we'd get off the helicopters or we'd get off the wagons, what we'd gone in on, and we would take our body armor off. We'd yeah. go in 
in these situations in Afghanistan, so I'm a six, and everyone knows that Connecticut was. Everyone knows that Connecticut Afghan was across the whole campaign. And we would take yeah. body armor off. Yeah. We yeah. do. We stick it in a pile. Then we go in for the we go in for the attack. We yeah. come back out. We come back out. Pick up body armor off. And get yeah. all the choppers and back out. Because it would weigh us down. It made us sweat more. And if you, you can move you're less likely to get shot. If you can if you can move easier, yeah. it means your cough it's less physically demanding your body, which means you're even more switched on anyway. It's like Exactly. Because I was gonna because I was thinking myself, it's in in one respect, like you're saying, because like if you think about it, like what you said the, the kit that you used two thousand six, you know, is the same as what you used in Iraq. It was lightweight. You could move, you know, you could, you didn't have that burden. But then you have public perception of saying obviously we don't want to see soldiers killed, etc. etc. So it's like bringing more like body armor and like you said, that weighed the soldier down. Do you think that that then you kind of there was never there was never an equal balance, was it? It was almost like you're thinking, well, yes, put more body armor on to protect them, but then it's slowing them down. More soldiers get killed. So once again, it's always against the actual soldiers themselves because it's like they're having to go along with those rules, but it's kind of against them at the same time because it's going to weigh them down. And you know you can't operate like that, especially now. Um, no, correct me, and, and don't be wrong. Over the course of a campaign, or when a military does anything. There needs to be constant reviews of kit, including yeah. PP, including weapon systems, including all the ancillaries and everything else. Yeah. Right, it's going to be an evolution of what you what you use and what you wear. Yeah. Unfortunately, because of the public perception, or as or as um, Tim Forces mentioned, maybe media manipulative perception. Unfortunately, it invariably goes heavier towards the protection. The emphasis on the evolution of the kit is the emphasis on protection of the individual. But not balancing that against the ability of the fighting unit. Yeah. And, and again, you can't blame you can't blame the public for wanting to keep people safe and people not and people being less likely to get killed, right? Yeah. Or injured. I went to an inquest for a, um, I went to an inquest for for a, a couple of guys who got killed, and uh, and this yeah, and, and their mother was there. Um, and she could not understand. She could not understand why her son was not issued. Not that it existed, mind. Yeah. Her son was not issued body armor that covered the whole body that was yeah. that could protect him from shrapnel bullets. You couldn't understand yeah. it, and that's the thing they don't understand, right? Yeah. The other thing is, is that to, to have a rational, to have a, a rational approach to okay, is it worth bringing in this bit of PPE, these extra protection in your arms, legs, yeah. looking? Bigger plates, whatever. Uh, is it is that going to cost more lives or less? Yeah. It's very hard to, to weigh up how many lives are going to cost because if you're making someone heavier, right? How would you measure you know, um, how many lives are lost have been lost because our our equipment was heavier than what it should have been? You can't yeah. measure it. You can't. No, no, no you can't. All you can say is how many people were saved because the bullets of shrapnel hit this massive plate or these other stuff that we add on. Yeah. And there's so many people who are safe. You can't say many people are killed because they move slower or because they couldn't outmaneuver the enemy. It's the same with vehicles. Yeah, exactly. Get heavier vehicles, it's going to be, especially people have said when you put the heavier vehicles, basically it's going to weigh the vehicles down. You know, it, you've got to have that. It's a really hard, and especially that, like you said, it's only until you get on the ground and you see it. It's like you've got to have that balance, but then that balance is never perfect because those, those environments constantly change. I mean, even the tactics of the enemy changes. I mean, because I know, like, one thing, obviously, one of the obviously highlight as well, um, obviously, your time at Musakala. Now, to me, obviously, I've read the book, No Way Out, 
obviously by Adam Jowett there. And obviously, it's on YouTube as well, The Heroes of Helmand. And when you see that, the intensity, I think if, to be honest, that was, if anybody wants a perception of the warfare, it's good. And it's like you're saying, to put troops in that situation with heavy equipment, heavy body armor, I'm surprised that more people, you know, weren't killed. If you, you know, because literally in that situation, you kind of removed a lot of the body armor. You had to move light because the amount of income. Well, this is the thing you can't measure. It. Speculation. No. When you can't measure, you've got no argument against, right? But no. again, just there has to be an evolution of the kit. I'm not saying it would have happened, but I no. can guarantee you now, if you left the if you left the evolution of kit suggestions on improvements in body armor, for example, yeah. improvements in helmets, improvements in flipping other, other kit and equipment, clothes and all yeah. that, it would not be as heavy as it turned out to be. It just wouldn't yeah. move strictly. I mean, someone just posted in, in the thread there, yeah. I, I, sorry, I didn't catch his name, but he's saying the average weight of the kit they were carrying on patrol going to contacts, the weight they were carrying additional, between 50k and 63k. Yeah. So, because of the studies that they mentioned this later on, right? That's mental. Yeah. I mean, a lot of it you have to carry. There is a certain amount where you have to carry frontline yeah, skill, yeah. mission, blah, 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 blah. But 63 kilograms, mate, yeah. I'm, I'm 90. I'm like 90 yeah. kilos. 63 kilograms is like carrying your missus on your back, depending yeah. on the size of the missus. And then being asked to go and flip in, conduct an attack. But, Crazy, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. I, there's nothing you can do about it. It's a challenge you always have to face. It's, it's almost yeah. even pointless. Sort of. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. You, it's it's like a no-win situation, really, because you're sent out to do a task. You're doing a task to the best of your ability. You've got to then like confirm to you know you've got where the kit that you're given. You know, even I was saying this last night about the SA80, and this was only this was like 2000. You had a cock and uh, handle that's literally that big, and I might as well threw it at the person. I've probably done more damage because it kept stopping after every like probably two, three rounds. For you. Know, for you. Hmm? For me, for literally, for literally, sure, for literally. sure, fucking, sure, fucking bad admin. <laughs> Get away! Nah, I wasn't bad admin, mate. <laughs> nah, 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 nah. <laughs> nah, it's it's literally when you, like that we had like obviously when you see it and you think because like what was really interesting is the comparison of times. Like I, I think that's something that's interesting as well in the conversation you've had recently. Like, with, like you said, with Terry was there and how they fought in Falklands, and it is a different. That is pure war fighting there. And then you look at uh, like situations like Mosakala, Sangin, pure war fighting, but the two difference. I know it's two obviously there's different eras, but it's that kind of like scaled down kit. If you look at the way they went in the Falklands and operated, scaled down kit, they went in that yeah, uh, yeah literally you think about it, they're still carrying heavyish kit in bad conditions. But if you look at the way operating like say Mosakala or a Sangin, scaled down kit still bad conditions but really you saw how them two and i think what it is what i'm looking at is like you can't fight a battle if you're going to go and stick all that weight on somebody and expect them to you know not go down especially in the heat you know the, the conditions but it, I, what i'm looking at as well is those two different areas do you think that really that's the way if you're going to fight a war do you think it's better the way it is that stripped down kit where you are light on your feet, where you are, where you can like move around quicker? Do I think what, sorry? Do you think it's like really when you look at like say the way that was fought in the Falklands, that was stripped down kit minimum in there, do the job at hand. The same as if you fight like you fought like say in Afghan, if you took that stripped down kit, fought in Afghan, do you think that like having that, is that like to itself as an advantage? Well, I mean like a kit. 
yeah, having that lighter kit and actually then be able to move around. Dependent on dependent on the tactics that the enemy's employing at the time. Yeah. And dependent on the unit you're part of. Yeah. I mean, like I said, it, it depends on the role you're doing, where you are, what the enemy's doing, and what kit you require. The, yeah. Um, yeah, lighter kits and advantage. Give me your, yeah. listen, give me that suit that protects me from all the bullets and shrapnel. Give it to me. Yeah. Just make sure it's super light. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure I everything I need to do move out. But it doesn't exist. Um, yeah. And yeah, it's, it's uh, yeah, like it, like, like it every time, depending on what I'm doing, depending on the enemy's MO. I mean, don't get me wrong, the Taliban's uh, MO over the campaign changed in most places uh, because they were just getting beaten by. We get beaten by the, the, the tactics on the ground of, of frontline troops, of, of infantry troops, yeah. you know, and not just infantry, sorry, and, and all the other frontline troops, you know, your artillery, uh, um, everyone that can flip in and flip pain on them. Um, so you start changing the ammo. Yeah, definitely. Because I think that's one of the, uh, the whole that evolution. Like, that was, if you look at that, like, like that's why I look at this. I, also, I love talking to anybody that obviously has served that period of time because, like I said, if you see that evolution, and it's not just like the way the military operated from that first, from like from the beginning of it, and that obviously including, like, say, from the time of Iraq into Afghan, and then it, how it all slowed down at the end of it, but like how the, the way that everybody had to adapt to that situation. And I think that's what it is. I think we, and I, said, I know I said it last night, how I've seen a lot of lads obviously I've spoken to and how they had to adapt their mindset as well, how they had to go into situations. And do you think there was that bigger evolution? There was an evolution there in just in the military alone? In the way- uh, what, sorry, I was reading, I keep, that- you know what, I keep distracted and reading messages in the bottom. <laughs> <laughs> no, no worries, mate. No, it's just more like the evolution, like obviously working on evolution now. Obviously, how that went from the like, first time when Iraq started. Now, that was, I saw that myself from a public perception at that point, you know, through the media and how things were perceived. But it was a big evolution in the way things had changed, how things had to change. And then obviously, like, like people like yourself that were there operating, um, did you find yourself evolving, almost changing your mindset to, to you know, with, with so much changes going on? Uh uh, Iraq or Afghan? Which one you talk about? I'd more say uh, like Afghan because that was more the obviously longer conf- like the, in terms of length. Yeah, Afghan was different as well. Uh, yeah. So uh, because the air, you got to th- so Iraq, right? We, Iraq was much more the, the the government and and like sub levels government local yeah. local government was had could reach everywhere in Iraq. Yeah, they, like they could reach everywhere. So. There was they had government influence in everyone. People were much yeah. more uh, aware of the changes, uh, change being brought uh, brought about by not the Allies, but by coalition forces being in Iraq, and so they they, they were sort of much more aligned and, and and emotionally invested in what they wanted for the country. Either they wanted yeah. coalition forces, or they did. Either they were like Baathist, right? Afghan was different. We operated in Hel- Helmand predominantly. Okay, yeah. so even though the campaign evolved and like and the Taliban tactics changed and our British um, objectives changed over time, realistically, the people the people of Helmand were predominantly, predominantly uh, uh, large, well, largely untouched or, or less sort of emotionally invested, less of a yeah. care of what's going on at government level. We're the farmers. Yeah. It doesn't. It does, like a lot of them. It doesn't make. It didn't really make a difference. Yeah. Whether it was a British or American. 
um, unit occupying the village and, and helping them. Um, or it was the Taliban. Because their daily life is still the same. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so over time, my evolution of it, my evolution of thinking about it, yeah, I didn't allow myself. I, I spoke to this before. Yeah, I don't yeah. think. I think if you start questioning the morality of the overall mission, yeah. reasons behind it, the overall mission, the overarching objectives, why are we, why are we here? Yeah. Um, then that impedes your ability to, to do your job well. Yeah. Be you a be you uh, a flipping in the navy, be in the RAF, your commander, whatever level. No. Uh, you have to believe in the in the, in the overarching objectives, the the strategy. You have to believe that, no. right? It's not to say that you can't question the morals and the ethics of what you're doing on a ground level. Yeah. Absolutely, that's why the heart, hearts and minds stuff exists. That's why rules yeah. engagement exists. That's yeah. why you taught so much about the influence of your actions on the local population. Never mind the enemy. That's why you taught you know do things ethically and morally. You yeah. can't go back in places that. All right, maybe 10, 10 Taliban in a building over there, but they're in the middle of a village of a thousand people. You can't just drop yeah. a pound pounder on there. You know, um, on that level, absolutely, that's coming to your mind. But if you yeah. start climbing judgment, we shouldn't really be here. Your mind's not on the job. And if you're a commander, yeah. you potentially get people killed. Yeah, exactly. My evolution of thinking came after, came after yeah. the tools when I had to reflect. And I was out of the military. It didn't really matter then. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because I was, because that's what I was, I've seen a lot of people when they've obviously spoken after they've left and then they've said, this is what I was thinking. I mean, because like you said, because you haven't got that time to think, you're literally right, get the job done. It's like kind of day by day at that point, that way of thinking. You're there thinking, right, I'm going to do this job, get the task done. And then, like you're saying, it's kind of like you just, you live for that day. And then you continue that day in, day out, but it's only till afterwards. Because I mean, how long in total did you serve for? 11, 11, 11, 11, 11, 11, 11, 11, 11, 11, 11, yeah. Because then you went on to doing contract work, didn't you, afterwards? You went on, was it circuit work? Yeah, I did four years in the Middle East. I did four years in Iraq. Yeah. And, and how did that, like, how did that oh, compare? Did you see it from a different perspective once you'd left? Uh, yeah. Uh, so, <laughs> Iraq's a lost cause. Uh, yeah. and, and unfortunately, a lost cause in terms of, from the perspective that we went out there to try and make it a better place, you know, get rid of Saddam, topple, yeah. topple the dictator, and hopefully Iraq will become a, a better place. But unfortunately, like a lot of countries in the Middle East, and it's, it's not, it's not, you know, it's not, it's not their fault, if you like. Yeah. They're, um, that part of the world is, it's not, it's not easy to live in. It's not even easy yeah. to evolve in. And the cultures, the cultures out there, especially in Iraq, they're very, just very short-sighted. Yeah. Just, just breeds a very short-sighted person, very short-sighted, uh, very short-sighted people, from a government political level to the individual, to the individual, um, and it's a it's a country that's evolved. It's extreme. I mean, look, Iraq is like the cradle of civilization. Some yeah. of the greatest mathematicians came from Iraq. Some of the some mathematics were born out there like yeah. hundreds of years ago. Geniuses, man. And look at it now. It's not yeah. an easy place to live. You know, it's yeah. a desert for one. It's not. Yeah. It's not exactly affluent in terms of. You're flipping, even this stuff you can eat apart from livestock is all skinny as hell. It's hard to live yeah, there. In some ways, hard to live and thrive in. Um, yeah. it, it becomes a place where people are very distrust, distrustful of each other. Yeah. Um, they're very short sighted and you need to take what they can now because they might not have it tomorrow. Yeah, yeah. You know, opposed to 
take a little bit less, we'll get a little more next week, you know, longer, yeah. longer term planning. And so we need to deal with a country like that. And you're judging, and you're trying to bring it to a, a standard, uh, you're trying to bring it to a, a standard where it improves their livelihood, their life, uh, yeah. the, the, the country in general. We try to do it based on what we know as a Western culture. We try to do it based on what we know as the UK, based on what the Americans know as the Americans, what our journey was, and what we learned along the way. That's great. But we ain't yeah. Iraq. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And unless, unless you're going to get all of your military commanders, all of your politicians who are involved yeah. in, oh, like involved in that decision making for the Iraq War, for example, or even Kuwait back in '91, unless you're going to yeah. get all of those somehow, put them and get them to live in Iraq for 20 years first, yeah. go back, it'll, different, it'll approach it differently, and things would and things would be a lot better. But we don't have it. It's uh, it's super difficult. You can understand yeah. why decisions made to go in. Yeah. Uh, well, told that are going in, um, <laughs> but the reality is we, we you just we don't understand the culture, and then you consider yeah. that how how short a time you stay in these places. Yeah, we've been there long enough. We weren't there long enough to understand the culture, to understand yeah. what yeah. makes them tick, to understand where they need to go, yeah. and how they need to get there. We weren't long enough to to understand that let alone then put a strategy in place and start executing it. <laughs> exactly. It was, it was almost like, right, put troops in first, then try and work with it as you're going along. And you could never do that. Like you said, you have to have that understanding of the people, of the culture, the country. You know, you can never really be fully grips with something if you don't have an understanding of it. Because it's like, like you say, it's, it's one thing. And plus, because that was quite a short period of time anyway, so what can you really learn? I mean, you've got people, like, if you go way back, and I know there's someone that I read up uh, a few years ago, because obviously like, people like um, Lawrence of Arabia. Now, I know that's one point that's been made. And I know I have myself. And I know that point, if I had listened to him the way that he wanted to split up equally between the tribes, potentially the situation wouldn't be as it is of today. But that's what's been put across. But like whether that would have actually happened or not, nobody will obviously will really ever know. No, but the world would have still evolved the same way. We'd still be doing the yeah, same yeah. thing now. We'd still yeah. be going and trying to change places. I mean, when you can, we would just be talking about there how long it takes to change to change your culture, change your country yeah. to the way you think, to the way we think it should be going. Um, yeah. It takes decades and decades and decades and decades. Yeah. Now, we've done this and tried this multiple times, multiple countries yeah. over yeah. multiple centuries. British yeah. Empire flipping brilliant, yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> they made all the mistakes before. Yeah. So the Americans just not over as as uh, as lengthy a history, yeah. and yet we still do it. We're still yeah. going there. I still try and do this stuff, and they come out really quick. Iraq and Iraq and Afghan being prime examples. And then when you and then when you consider, well, the the a, a prime minister is only in power for five years, maybe yeah. maybe longer, but minimum yeah. five. But that's how far they're looking. They're looking to the yeah. next election, right? Yeah. The president's in power for what four years? May get a second yeah. term. Okay. So in terms of planning, they ain't planning 40 years down the line, 50 years down the line, which is a level of planning you need to go in and make it better, truly make it better. Yeah. Whatever that better is, okay, whatever you decide. Yeah. If talking 40, 50 years, minimum, any country, any country, right? Yeah. Even if it's a country you understand that speaks English, that looks like yeah. you, you can strike a rapport with a local, that you can do hearts yeah. and minds, you don't need to translate into yeah. it. Right, which begs the question. I mean, you look at how short term these these people think for in advance. Yeah, what are the real intentions? And then you couple up the fact that you're trying to change your country, right? You send a, you send the military in, 
when uh, when the units are rotating out every six months. Yeah. The unit literally only just try, gets a chance to get a hand on the ground three or four months, as in really understand things. Then two months of inactive, well, a month of inactive, yeah, like being really good at what they do in terms of yeah. influence. Yeah. yeah. And then they got a month of handover. Yeah, exactly. Because that's one thing I had seen myself. It's it's madness, really, when you look at it from no from that perspective. Time is a big is is a, is everything really time. But like you're saying, to understand it, it's as, almost as though they like you said, it could be forty or fifty years. And how many actual prime ministers could have served within that time? And how many or how many parties could have changed different? You know, it's you can't look at that because it's such a a situation that's going to constantly change. And, and really, like you're saying, even for individual units, to be on the ground six months at a time. And I think that's another thing that I've heard, obviously, people's um, point of view was what, they, you know, they got to a point where they got so used to it, right, okay, we know what we're doing, and then you're taken out of the situation. So it's kind of like, right, back to square one again, because then you're going to have new, you know, a, a new battalion, you know, new, new, and again, start again. And it's like that constant, there isn't that time where things can change in that more positive because time's against everybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, you know, and I think that's what it is. I think I've, I've spoken to quite a few people on this matter and I think myself, if you're going to plan, you've always got to plan that long term, that I always have a look. Uh, why, say, like I said, if you look at, say, a, say, a minimum of five years, in five years, what can you technically change? Really, you're only going to get people on the ground and have a look look around. Really, in that well, well, it's a good point, mate. You, you can change stuff in four or five yeah. years. It's just not going to be change the whole country. It's not yeah. going to be make, make everyone rich. It's not going to be yeah. get rid of all the, you know, the 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 poppy trade and stop all the, yeah. the drug. It's not going to be that. No. So, and and it, and it's naive to think that it's naive to think that there could ever be a position where you're going to get politicians or the, the strategists or the economists to think yeah. the plan for 40 or 50 years it's not going to happen it's naive to think that you're going to get troops to do more than like even just a year do more yeah. not, more than a six month tour more than a year tour it's not going to happen it's, it's not it's not it's not feasible right and so that means that maybe you should look at having shorter smaller objectives right yeah. and in and out, in, in like short operations in yeah. four years, five years, yeah. maybe you know, a plan four years, five years, yeah. plan ten years, yeah. make you flip an objectives and the missions you want to achieve smart, <laughs> specific, achievable, realistic, and timely. You know, it's like exactly. basics. basics. Like, we see grand things, it's unachievable. And then because they're unachievable, it gets realized over the course of the campaign, sure, you're saying you're saying achievable, let's change the wording of the campaign of the mission slightly, let's change yeah. it. Oh, and then leave. We've won. We've, we've achieved what we came to achieve. Hang on. That's not what we did at the start. That's what we said at yeah. the start. <laughs> exactly, because that, that's one thing, a spawner, because that's one thing I found myself. With a lot of things that are said, it kind of changes dynamic. They say one thing at the beginning, then they realise that, that that famous part, we can take Hellman without t- firing one shot, one round. It's like, okay, let, look what happened. That was like, you know what I mean? It's like, to even to say that, to go into that, that just shows the the misunderstanding well, of the whole situation. Yeah. Well, the, the thing is, we it, we didn't know we didn't know yeah. what Helm was like. I remember yeah. the build up to it. Our our yeah. our, our training, pre deployment training, as it's called, then for that 2006 tour was 
Iraq. It was yeah. a, it was a flat training, which at that point was a mix of was basically we were doing Northern Ireland training, right? Yeah. But 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 with an Iraq spin on it, really, because yeah. that's that kind of yeah. what it campaign had become. And and uh, and the intelligence was so thin of the ground in Helmand didn't really understand no. resistance. But because you have to remember, like Camp Bastion had been there for at least a year before. No, it'd been yeah, yeah. a year beforehand. Yeah. You know, there a year before that the sits get built. And they hadn't been much kinetic activity, if yeah. any. So you think, huh, maybe maybe they'll be all right with all these British troops coming to help them. Maybe the Taliban don't really care about helping. Maybe yeah. whatever. And then so it wasn't an unquantity. Um yeah. the first few weeks it was there was not much going on. There was not yeah. much going on. The first few weeks there was very little going on. And uh, and then and then it went, <laughs> and then it went <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, they were in Connecticut in a big way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Because that was kind of like the powder keg had been lit, really. And I think it was once they started hitting the poppy fields. And I know, like, obviously, Spec Ops had obviously targeted them predominantly to set fire to them, to remove them parts of it. And I know that, like, that is, do you think it's, it was almost like a fuse had been lit? This, like, long trail of gunpowder. You'd gone in, there was very little happening at that beginning stage of it, and then, boom, that, that kicked off. And like you said, it just went mega after that. Well, it wasn't the poppy field. It wasn't the burn of the poppy field. That came way, way, way later. The, I think what... I mean, I'm, I'm told... I haven't looked... Oh, I'd have to look at the intelligence reports and look at the, the commander's diary, war diary, but not war diary, but diary. But, but um, the, first, the first contact was in a place called, I'm sure, with, with three para. I don't think, no. there might have been SF be before that and some no. like sneaky beaky ops, but first contact on that tour was in a place called Nauzad. No. And uh, let me recall this. I'm trying to recall the exact scenario. Anyway, first, first British troops went in Nauzad is A Company three para. And, uh, and they, got, they, got bumped, they got attacked in, in, in no. this town called Nauzad. And I mean, Nauzad is a strategically important town, where, where yeah. it was. They had great high ground around it. Yeah. Um, there were Afghan National Police there who had a little outpost who were, I think that's why it went actually, because the AMP were getting attacked. Yeah. We didn't defend the AMP. Now, there's a reason the Taliban attacked the AMP, because they wanted to control the town for whatever reason. Yeah. I don't recall what reason that was. Uh, but that was the point where British troops were then encroaching on ground that the Taliban controlled or wanted to control, yeah. and now we were in the way. And once it happened there, we were, you know, we didn't stop and just try and clear out. Now was that, and then it happened, it happened in other places where we went to try and take control to allow the, you know, rebuilding to establish control of the area yeah. to get on side with the locals, yada yada yada. And then, the, yeah, I went everywhere we went. There's an underlying, yeah. there's an underlying, um, uh, not underlying. It was a, it was a Taliban presence there that wasn't yeah. immediately obvious until he went in, which is what coin ops are all about, right? Yeah, the, exactly. You know, they, they they wear what the logos were. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's crazy, really. I don't know, obviously, we're just coming down about the last 10 minutes there. And obviously, we could speak another hour on this, you know. Because you know, really, something like that, when you look at that, that period of time, and that was a big part of your life there. And, and not just, obviously, doing Iraq, Afghan, then doing contracting. I mean, really, once that had finished, because I know, like, obviously, like, we can probably spend another hour from that time onwards. But, I mean, really, how did the podcast come around? Mm, good question. Um, because when I left the military, uh, even day one, I said, yeah. well, I, I was working in Iraq three days before I actually left. Yeah. And so, day one in London, Iraq, 
I I realised I I got out with kit I didn't need because I hadn't really yeah. been breaking. Um, the security industry wasn't as stable as I thought it was, or people yeah. thought it was. Those two things. Um, and then as time went on, uh, I I had some I went through some difficult times in life, and then uh, I, I just learned a lot of things. A lot of information came from you know not privy to. I just learned like everyone does. Yeah. Really. Yeah. Experience, yeah. a professional experience, personal experience, hardship, flipping, uh, reintegration back into like not, like civilian life. Yeah. In fact, not even reintegration back into civilian life. It's integration into for yeah. the first time. Yeah. When we join up, we join up when you're 16, 17, 18 years old, sometimes a little bit later, right? You're still a kid when you join up. The human yeah. brain doesn't start fully formed until you're 23. Yeah. <laughs> fact. And you still evolve, you still evolve as a human being. In adult until you're 23-ish, yeah. right? You join up. You've never experienced the adult world, adult civilian yeah. world. Exactly. You joined up. So let's say you spend five years in. When you leave after five years, when you leave after 12 years, when you leave after even 24 years, you've not experienced the civilian world as an adult. Yeah. So you are going to society you don't understand. You don't yeah. understand it, right? You also, you don't realize you don't understand it. And all the connections that you had to it from back in the day and all the things that, all the stuff that was this normal stuff that you do like when you were a kid or when you were like 17, 18 or even yeah. 19, depending on who you joined up, like go on the piss, meet your mates, you know, it's all stuff for kids and all stuff. That's kind of the last recollection you have on it. Even if you're going back home every weekend, you're still in touch with city mates, like it's still kind of that, that environment, you still don't quite understand what yeah. actually live in a city street like. So that can be all the professional stuff like, I wanted a way of getting, I, I trying to understand, work out a way of getting the information to people who are still serving, or um, yeah. just getting information to them in a subliminal way, not in a way that it says, uh, oh, look, I'm Hugh Keir, and I have this experience, yeah. and I'm going to tell you how to do it. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, the mental side of things, you know, yeah. if, I, if I turn around and walk into three power tomorrow, yeah. and go, uh, fellas, um, you know, uh, maybe you want to try meditating, it'll help you. You know, help to focus more. And you go fuck off. I get kicked off camp. Yeah. I get filled in. Right. So, but there's absolutely valuable lessons in there. It's, it's how to. It's it's like anything, right? You got a message you want to yeah. give people. You want educate, yeah. not education. You got a message you want to give to a person, or organization. Not everyone gets yeah. talked so Just just communicate. We got twenty four seconds left. Have we? All right. Probably. Twenty seconds. Jesus 20 Christ. I counting down. now. Twenty seconds. <laughs> So you're going to speak for two hours. What I do Man. though is uh, we'll, we'll end it now. We can go for another couple of hours there. We literally got about ten seconds left, have we? Three seconds. Three seconds, right? 